Welcome to My Life Chassidus Supplied, episode 467. This will be a special Israel at War edition. One we'd rather have not done, but under the circumstances, as difficult as it is to speak, it's even more difficult to remain silent. This program is dedicated by Yecheskel, good friend, in memory of David ben Yecheskel Alevi, and Chaim Yisrael ben Yosef Halevi. So we all know exactly where we were when this terrible news broke. Simchas in the morning in Eretz Yisrael, Shemini Atzeres and Simchas combined. For those of us out of Israel, it was Shemini Atzeres in the morning, Shabbos morning, literally eight days ago. You know, first the news began to trickle in, each in our own way. It was bad enough right in the beginning, and it only got worse and worse. As we heard the numbers mount, the, the colossal failure of stopping it, the methods, the brutality, the low animalistic behavior, which is not the place in here and time for us to go into the details. Everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. I only say the number simply just to drive the point home. Over 1,350 Nishamas, Kadeshim, innocent men, women, and children of all ages massacred, literally. Where we stand today is that Yisrael has gone to war to eradicate this evil, the root of the evil, that such a thing should never happen again. And the world, at least for now, stands behind Yisrael. The questions are many, many, many. A program like this, Chassidus Applied, though it is about applying Chassidus per se, we'd let, rather talk about things that are far, far more pleasant and beautiful, and even the challenges in our lives, more personal ones, rather than this. But if Teir and Chassidus does not rise to the occasion to speak about this, when, what does it speak about, ultimately? In other words, right now this is the focus how we should look at it from a Torah point of view, a Chassidus point of view. What would the Rebbe say? What can we do about it? And many, many questions. I've gotten, since this has broken out, I would say thousands of questions. Well, God has blessed us, the Meaningful Life Center, myself. You know, I was a chazer, a maniach of the Rebbe for many years, absorbed the Rebbe's approach and methodology. So the attempt in this program is to try to create, give some clarity, some direction, some strength and hope as much as humanly possible. Because that's what we do. We don't lie down. We don't cower in fear. We don't retreat. Every one of us has to be mobilized to this Malchama, this war. There's the physical part of the war. There's the spiritual part of the war. So there's not, that's not, not an option to be an observer, to be a bystander, to be a spectator. So the challenge is, what are we supposed to do about it? And many other questions, how to speak to our children, what do you do with fear? Obviously, I'm not a military strategist, so I'm not going to be speaking about that, but there's plenty that the Rebbe did speak about that is both apitera and also common sense, how you deal with an enemy. So we'll talk all about that, as well as connections to Simchas that this should happen on Simchas Teda, Shabbos Bereshis, which was yesterday, and then 
going into Pashaneach. So there are many, many aspects and angles, far from being exhaustive, but make my attempt to try to address some of the most fundamental issues. Also dealing with the painful fact that there are people, even friends and colleagues, that are, for whatever reason, sympathizing with such behavior. How do you address them? How do you deal with that? And more. So, I think the first place to begin with is just to understand that we didn't have been, unfortunately, in such a situation more than once. You know, going back, you can go back to Golis Mitzrayim over 3,300 years ago. You can go back to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, who were already suffering at the hands of their enemies. So it's not something new. That doesn't minimize, critical to point out, that does not minimize the tragedy that we're now experiencing. It does not minimize it all, but it teaches us lessons. There's a lot to learn from. And there's a lot to learn from how we build strength from it. And at times like this, that's the most critical thing of all. It's to hold on. In the words of Meir Meprimishlan, when you're bound above, you don't fall below. So when things are calm, thank God, and relaxed, you don't always see that necessity to hold on to. But when things are challenging and there's a crisis and there's many questions and there's fears and so on, that's when we see the power of Amunah and Betachem more than ever. I remember once hearing from a, a victim of a big terrorist attack who survived. And she told me, she said, you don't know how powerful Betachem is until you're left with nothing but Betachem. You don't know how powerful the trust in God is until you're left with nothing but it. Thank God we are left with more than just Betachem. From on a physical level, we're left with a strong Tzahal. And you see the, 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 the Siddhas Nefesh and the Simcha that they march into protecting innocent men, women, and children in Yisrael. And we have many other resources. But that's also part of the Betachem. Because Hashem blessed us with that. He didn't just say, I'll save everything. I'm giving you tools. I'm giving you instruments. I'm giving you spirit. But we have to hold on to that with our dear lives in times like this. So that's the above all overriding critical point. Because when you have that, everything follows. Like the Alter Rebbe says in chapter 26 in Tanya, talking there about atzvus, being depressed, being anxious, being... So he says, if it leads to demoralization, the example he gives is actually of a battle. Two people wrestling. And even if one is stronger, but he feels weak, and he feels down, and he feels depressed, they'll most likely lose, even though he's stronger. Because it's not just the weapons you have. It's not just the ammunition. It's not just the firepower. It's your attitude. The psychological warfare in simple English. And that is both in Echisol and both for us. And that's for our children to see. So this, I would say, if you take away the most central thing, everything that Rebbe spoke about was infusing and igniting and you can say stimulating and awakening that inherent resilience that we have. And that Kashayano Esam, Ken starting from Golos Mitzrayim, that the more they were afflicted, the more they thrived and the more they flourished. But there are many details regarding this, and there are many questions. But, rem- but keep in mind, this is the driving port point, that we're always thinking about moving forward, by so, to move forward. 
And with that, I'm going to go into break this down into several categories. This is most of it coming from your questions, questions I've received from others as well, not necessarily in this forum. And I want to also say right here that right after Yom Tov ended, which was last Sunday night, and I, I was in California, we immediately launched our offensive, coupled with obviously the necessary offensive on the ground in Israel, the spiritual war. So if you go to MeaningfulLife.com, we have a special section called Spiritual, called Operation Iron Sword, but it's a special section you can see right on the homepage, which is being populated every day with more material, videos, articles, insight, background. So please take advantage of that. Obviously, this program as well will be posted there. And uh, as well as a WhatsApp group called The Spiritual War, which you can freely, free, free to join. And uh, there are two constant posts daily, the spiritual side of it. How, what, what can we do? How should we strengthen ourselves? What can we do for our, their, our holy soldiers in the Holy Land? And so on. Okay, so I'm breaking it down into several categories. The categories are God. Why would God allow something like this to happen? Was dancing the appropriate reaction when he first heard about these brutal attacks? What is the Rebbe's approach to events like this? What can we do? Some halachas regarding times like this. What do we learn from this tragedy? How do we deal with fear? What should we tell our children? Can we gain strength from the holiday season that just ended? What does Simchas Teda and his Torah reading or readings teach us about these terrible events? What can we learn from Parsha Bereshis? What can we learn from Parsha's Neach? How should we respond to sympathizers of our enemies? And how about those so-called quote-unquote religious Jews marching with their enemies? So this is a general breakdown, which of course overlaps. Each of this has many, many subcategories, and by no means is this over the discussion. So please use this opportunity, use this forum, go to chsidasupply.com, submit any question, nothing is taboo, nothing is off limits, nothing is sacrilegious, everything, is, everything will be addressed. Hopefully I'll never have to speak about this again because all of this will be eliminated and we'll march right into the Gula Mitis Vashlem and then we'll speak only about the good things. And Eid Hashem can't be how all this is transformed into tremendous joy and simcha and only shalom for Jews and for the entire world. So let's dive into these questions one by one. And uh, Hashem should help me put the right words in my mouth, taken from Teda, Achsidis, and especially through the lens of the Rebbe. As I said, unfortunately, we had prior events that the Rebbe did address very directly and very bluntly. But I'll begin with the question that most people begin with, which is, why would, a God, why would God allow this to happen? And Asim Chisteir, no less. So, just let's make this very clear. Time and again, when these questions like this were asked, whether it was, that Moshe Rabbeinu asked to Hashem when he saw the suffering of the Jews in Egypt. You saw Pare bathing in the blood of Jewish children. You understand the parallels there. When Avram Avinu earlier than that said, he's talking about actually the infidels of Zdaim. Or later questions 
Aaron, Aaron HaKoyen Godel, when his two children were, died, when the Asari Aruge Machus were, were massacred brutally by the Roman Emperor, talk about that in Yom Kippur, you see time and again, the response was either shteik, kachol b'machshor, was silent. Vayidemayin, Aaron was silent. We don't have answers. We don't find Hashem in His infinite wisdom coming to explain it, coming to blame someone, coming to give some plausible rationale. One of the Rebbes I heard, not a Chabad Rebbe, one of the Rebbes after the Holocaust was said that even if God wanted to explain it to me, why it happened, I wouldn't want to hear. What explanation would do justice? In many ways it would make it even worse. So we have to understand that there are matters of life and death that we will never understand. And even when we say, Eitcha Hashem to be, and the Rebbe brings that in the famous letter where he says that since he's a child, he uh, was thinking what times of Mashiach, Eitcha Hashem. That means we may see, the, we will see the goodness that ultimately came from all of it. But explanation, why we had to go through such pain, such suffering, like the Rebbe brings around, Lam Osa Hashem Kocha. You need us to learn something. You need something to grow from. Why does it have to be with such in such a way? Eiv has a whole book, the whole book of Eiv, of Job. Talks about human suffering. Talks about why good people suffer. And you see time and again, as I said, that we're not trying to explain it. And actually that is the best explanation because the explanation itself, Seichel itself, is limited. It's like trying to put something that is infinite into a small finite box. There's no way that, could, that can work. And when Hashem says to Eve, what does he say to him? One of the big statements he says. When you ask me these questions about why the good suffer, were you there when I created heaven and earth? I'm paraphrasing. Do you ask me also why there's good in this world? Do you ask me why there's birth? Or you only ask me why there's death? Do you ask me why there's joy? Or you only ask me why there's pain? It's all bound together. And the key thing to remember that this is not a retreat, this is not a surrender, this is not coming from weakness, this answer. It's coming from strength. This doesn't mean that, oh, since we don't have an answer, that's, it's all over. As the Rebbe says in a powerful, powerful letter, I'm happy to share the letter with you, to someone who asked the Rebbe about the Holocaust. The Rebbe said, we, if we had to know why it happened, God would tell us. If it was important for our service, for our work in this world to know, we would have been told. Since we weren't told, it means it's not necessary for us to know. So we don't ask the question why, we ask what are we going to do about it. That's the real question. And that's the question actually of a leader. A victim says why? What am I going to do? A commander-in-chief of an army, even when there's a setback, even when there's a, a, a loss, a battle is lost, doesn't just... He may not know why and so on. He learns from it and figures out another way. When the Jews came to the Yamsuf and the Egyptians were pursuing them, they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. And they broke into four camps. Some said, let's go to, let's surrender. Some said, let's go to war. Some said, let's pray. Some said, let's kill ourselves. Jump into those sea. All four were wrong. They all have perhaps some element, not surrender but, or, or killing oneself. But prayer has some value. But that's not enough. Vayiso, says Hashem. 
move forward, forge ahead. I told you to go toward Mount Sinai, toward Israel, toward the Promised Land. Is it difficult? It's very difficult, especially when a person is so overwhelmed by pain. But at the end of the day, that is the secret of Jewish survival. If you look throughout history, so this is not just a theory. We're talking about over three and a half thousand years. You'll see Eden. The big, big question everyone asks, how did Jews survive? Not just survive, thrive. And the question is compounded. Atamat Mikola Amin, we're the smallest of nations, in number. Nations far, far bigger in numbers. We're 14 and a half million, 15 million K Yerbu today. The world has 8 billion people, billion. You look at the percentage. And throughout history, that's been the case. All those empires, and many of them that oppressed us, are gone, completely gone. They had greater numbers, they had greater wealth, they had land, they had control, they had power. Armies, tremendous strength. I'll just go through a list of a few of them. The Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the, the, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the Spanish Empire, and the list goes on. Not one remnant. Not one remnant. It's history. And the Jewish people, oppressed by them, expelled, killed, murdered, all the way to the Holocaust, and before that the pogroms, and before that the Inquisition, and the Crusaders, and the Middle Age the persecutions, and the expulsions, the destruction of the Second Temple, the First Temple, all the way back, and here we are. What's the secret? Isn't that something that we should all try to find out, especially in time like this? And I would say it's a secret that every human being on earth should learn from. All of psychology tries to understand how do we build resilience in, t- in face of trauma, in face of pain and suffering. And the answer lies in this, that the Jews did not escape and deny their pain. They looked it in the eye and they said, the affliction actually made them stronger because they had a secret weapon. And the secret weapon was their faith, was their betachen, their trust. They were tied above. So even when the storms were brewing below, and the worst possible, they had something to hold on to. To use more secular psychological terms, Viktor Frankl turned it an entire psychological approach of called logotherapy. Man's search for meaning, the meaning, purpose, that there's something deeper going on. So they did not necessarily need an answer why it happens. As a matter of fact, they did not allow that to paralyze them because you could spend your whole life agonizing. Why, why, why me? What? what was, who's to blame? Instead, what are we going to do? Chief Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau, Yisrael Meir Lau, I heard the story straight from him. You could say former chief rabbi, or he's always a chief rabbi. So he came to the United States in Tovshin Lamadal in 1974, the first time. He was then rabbi of Netanya. He went to visit the Rebbe. The Rebbe asked him, what's the mood like, the Matzav Ruach, the mood in Eretz Yisrael? And it wasn't a good mood. Even though they had just won the Yom Kippur War, but it came at a heavy price. There was surprise, there was surprise attack in Yom Kippur. Many losses. Finally, thank God, it turned around. But it was very different than the euphoria that followed the Six-Day War. So Rabbi Lau said to the Rebbe, the Elam, the people in Israel are saying, what's going to be? Ma'yiyah. 
what will be Bozved Zayn in Yiddish. He told me this, that the Rebbe grabbed his wrist like this and said, Rav Lau, by Eden Frek Minish Bozved Zayn, Frek Vosgate Minton. We don't ask Ma we ask Ma What are we going to do? Not what will be. What will be, and I'm explaining now, is the language of a victim. What will be as if someone else is going to save you? What are we going to do? We have total belief that we have resources, that we have Hashem with us, and Hashem blessed us with resources. What are we going to do? And that changes the entire equation. That's why we are here as a people. Obviously, with Hashem's protection, Hashem gave us these resources, and Hashem will make sure that even, like it says, Ani Hashem leishanisi Yisrael God does not change. He's immutable. And so are the people, the Bnei Yisrael, the children of Israel. Lechelisim will never disappear, thank God. But how do we deal with it in that way? I'm not sure who coined this, but you could say the Jewish people are like a tea bag. You don't know how strong they are until you put them into hot water. So that's the response why would God allow this to happen. We'll talk more about Simchas a little later in this program, but the bottom line is that the answer we don't know and we can't understand is meant to be empowering. But we do ask, what can we do? And we know that God is giving us all the abilities. All the strengths and abilities and tools to deal with any given situation, both physically and spiritually. So someone follows up with that. And so I'm just going to read some of the actual questions in this regard. What happened with Hinele Yonam Vale Yishun Shemi Yisrael? If the verse Hinele Yonam, which means, he, behold, that God does not, that God, this the protector of Israel, does not slumber and does not sleep, protects us all the time. If the verse Hinele Yonam Vale Yishun Shemi Yisrael is apparently not true because of what happened in Israel, how do we know that other parts of the Torah that say, we should keep Shabbos and put on Tzolon are true. So I'm reading it in the full sacrilegious tone, as I said I would. Well, the problem with that question is that the first half is incorrect. Who says God does not protect the people? The fact that there are setbacks, the fact that six million Jews were killed, we don't say that he went to sleep. He says, we don't know why. It's not a contradiction. And I'm not saying this in any redeeming way. The fact is that we are here, strong people. Yes, we've gotten a very, very major, a major wound, a major, a major, you can say, even amputation of so many innocent people, so many of our own brothers and sisters. But this Shoimer Yisrael continues to protect and will continue to protect our soldiers in the Holy Land, on the front lines, and men, women, and children everywhere in Israel and everywhere in the world. We absolutely believe that. And if you look at the bigger picture throughout history, see it. It was so easy. I don't want to even say the words for us to become extinct. How many times? Like the moon, to disappear after the Holocaust. How many obituaries were written after what happened in the Middle Ages? I mean, if you, if you talk about it logically, we shouldn't even be here. So that's not shame of Yisrael. Doesn't mean that it came without a price. No, it came with a heavy price and continues to come with a price. But we never give up, if anything. Like when people said to um, different Holocaust survivors, how could you continue to believe in God after the Holocaust? And the answer is, how could I continue to believe in man after the Holocaust? I have only God to believe in. 
That's, so the same God that we can argue with, and we'll talk about that more shortly, is the same God that we need. That's what a real relationship is. At times like this, we need God more than ever. You don't want to throw out God from the picture, God forbid, because that's where we get eternal strength from. When you see those images of these young men going to battle on behalf of Eretz Yisrael, I mean, where does that strength come from? It's so easy to cower in fear and retreat. So I absolutely reject categorically that statement. It's absolutely true. Despite the fact that we have questions, despite the fact that we have a world where there's still darkness and there's still evil and there's still the ability of such violent and, and barbaric behavior. So that is regarding that question. Can we be angry at God? So someone writes, are we allowed to be angry at Hashem for letting the Simchus terrorist attack happen? I'm personally very angry, and even if I'm wrong for being angry at Hashem, my, motivation, my motivations are good, because I love my fellow Jews so much that I feel personally hurt when they are suffering. As the Rebbe once explained, that when Miriam Bas Bilga hid the Mizbeach with her shoe, the reason she did it was because her deep level of Avis Yisrael, because she could not bear, bear to see them suffering. So I don't know if the word angry, but we have definitely the right, and that's the whole concept of prayer, the right to challenge God. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Why are you doing evil? He didn't say, Why are you allowing Parade to do evil? That's again the beauty of the paradox. That we absolutely challenge. Every time we say, Amisha Beirach, Rafa'enu, we say, we're praying to God to change destiny. That even if a person is, God forbid, in the hospital or not well, we could say, Hey, believe in God, everything is for the good. No, because God said, I want you to challenge me. I want you to. I want you to pray. I want you to change destiny. Why is that the situation? That's the partnership. We'll talk about this also a little bit later. I'll probably do a special program on this as well. Yom Kippur, the whole idea of Yom Kippur and Simchus is forgiveness over a, a, a Yadig Yavar sin of idolatry, an unforgivable sin that you're supposed to die for. So the whole idea of Judaism is that we can make a mistake and correct it and we can change destiny. So he absolutely challenged God. Moshe Rabbeinu challenged God for 80 days and gained forgiveness. However, the key point here is not about getting angry and challenging God just to challenge God because you're upset. It has to be something that motivates you to do something about it. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't just complain. He dug deeper. He found deeper love within himself. His deep love for the Eden. The commitments he made the power of tshuva. In other words, we, it motivates us. It's not just I'm going to complain and have a tantrum because I don't like what happened. It has to be something that leads to motivation. When it, leads to, it motivates you to become a better person, to become more connected to God, then by all means, God wants you to use whatever it takes. Use your anger, use your passion, use your fire inside you. Sometimes that's how we wake up. Again, I'm not justifying but sometimes that's how we wake up. What does the Alter Rebbe say in chapter 7 in Tanya about a Baal Tshuva? Why is B'mokim Shabal Tshuva aimed him in Sadiqim Gemurim Yechem Lamed Shom? Why can't Sadiqim reach a level of Baal Tshuva? Zdenis Naslei Kezachis, that the very sins, the, the deliberate sins become merits because the deep love that it created, not just because it's complaining, the deep love of the deep thirst that comes when a person is in such a state of lack, 
So in turn, it creates a tremendous passion. So then, all these feelings, even that you're disturbed, and actually it's a good thing to be disturbed. Should we be complacent and just say, oh, God wants it, I can go to sleep? No. The Rambam says when a catastrophe strikes a community, an individual, the beginning of Hilchas Tain is the whole basis of fasting. It would be cruel and insensitive, achzorius, to say mikra niklis has just happened. We have to introspection and soul searching, look inside and figure out what you can do to prepare to be better. It doesn't say, by the way, to point fingers and blame others. It says, look at yourself. You were witness to it. You heard about it. That's the Jewish approach. Again, by your soul. Take all that anger, take all those feelings, and we have many of them, and harness it, channel it toward positive energy, toward building, toward growing, toward reaching out to more people, creating more unity and ardus. Again, we'll talk about that as we go along in this program, things we can do. What about Einoid Malvade? Where is God in all of this? So God is in everything. We learn the Chassidus from the Arizal, from Kabbalah, the idea of the Tzimtzum Adishin. You know what the Tzimtzum Adishin is? A complete concealment of the divine. Not Kipshute, not literal, but still a complete concealment. And at times it manifests in the worst possible ways. The root of it all, there was no Tzimtzum. If we were living in a world of Eden Sov before the Tzimtzum, there's no room for, not only for, for, for evil, there's no room for independent consciousness altogether, for free will. So God, in his mysterious way, Nisava desired to have a dira b'tachtenim. And tachtenim means concealment, as the Alter Rebbe explains in chapter 36 in Tanya. Concealment after concealment, to the point that it's a cheshach a double and quadruple darkness. Mali klipas filled with all the negative forces and energy. Rishayim gevrimbei, the wicked prosper there, and are dominant to the point that they cry out, the exact opposite, nothing but God. Me and nothing else. That's the ultimate narcissism, the ultimate selfishness. And it's actually the, the, way, the translation of the word Hamas itself, Hamas, like in this week's Pasha, we'll talk about soon as well. Crime, robbery, violence, murder. It's only possible when you don't have a God in your life. Because this is God's creations. This is God's children. So that's all as a result of the Simpson edition. I'm not looking for a scapegoat. But it originates there. So there's God in everything. And this goes back to the mysteries of understanding and not understanding. And ultimately the Simpson will be transformed. But then someone follows up. Can we say this is an illusion because all of existence is only godliness? Interesting question. I'm assuming it's coming from someone that is part of our Ayin Bey's class that I give every morning, because we're talking a lot about Ardus Hashem. So here's how the person phrases it. In Chsidis we are taught that Eneid Movadai, there's nothing but Hashem. We exist because there is a symptom of Hashem's light which created a space where we think we exist. So since we say the true reality is there, to nothing, is there, that everything is nothing but Hashem, can we say the war between Hamas and Israel is not really happening because we don't really exist. But instead that we are seeing it in some kind of, instead what we are seeing is some kind of civil war between different parts of godliness. No, we can't say that. Because the same Hashem, the Enid Movade said, 
as we just read, there is a world. Famous Maimon Mika Moicha Tofesh Chavtes from the Rebbe Marash, who asked the question, how do we know this? How do we know there's a world? So first answer is Bereshit Bara, because Teirah says so. That's the ultimate answer, because everything else, even any explanation, could be part of the illusion. And then he gives a second reason from Sanhedrin about liquid kushuin, about the difference between a magician and a true, um, a true uh, witch, if you wish, witchcraft. A sorcerer. That there's a difference. A magician is just sleight of hand. It's an illusion. But a sorcerer is, is a real sin in the Torah to be a sorcerer because he actually does something. If, the, if, it, if all of existence is an illusion, everything is an illusion. Everything is like a magician, just sleight of hand. But the point being is that it's a reality. The Rebbe has a famous sikhe, Mishpatim, Shabbos Pasha Mishpatim, Tavshik of Zion, 1967. Interesting, the war, before the Six-Day War, where he talks about the explanation at the end of chapter 4 in Shari Yechud from the Alter Rebbe, that Simtsum Nikra Kalim. That though the Simtsum is a concealment, but it's called Kalim, it has substance. And with that, the Rebbe explains that existence has true substance that God gave it. And that substance, unfortunately, with enough tzimtzumim, enough concealments, can lead to the worst possible scenario. Because if God was completely permeated and saturated your being and your consciousness, you'd not be capable of doing something wrong. A person doesn't sin unless they have a moment of blindness, of insanity. Especially things like we've seen now. But this again goes back to the whole discussion of concealment, which is not what I want to get into a haskolodic philosophical discussion, just answering questions that came in. And one more question regarding our relationship with God regarding this. If everything that happens in the world is ashrocha pratis, is divine providence, and not even a blade of grass in the forest can overturn unless it is God's will, well, then can we say it was Hashem's will that 1,300 innocent Israeli civilians were slaughtered? that Hashem put on a green Hamas uniform and wave an ISIS flag before grabbing some beer and popcorn and watching the massacre that he ordered and desired unfold. Again, I don't think it's appropriate speaking that way, but people are voicing their anger, their frustration, and God should forgive them and me for reading this, but I do feel disturbed to read it, to be very honest, but I'm reading it. Yes, I am mad at Hashem for letting this carnage happen. Maybe we should have democratic elections to elect a new, better God and doesn't that doesn't condone allow massacres. If it's an if it's an Aveda to be angry at Hashem, then consider me a Rosh Gomer. Am Yisrael Chai. Am Yisrael Chai is because God made them Chai. So, uh, with all respect, and I am completely validating and your your right to express your frustration, but it's God that gives and God that takes and God that takes that God that gives. So we need God more than ever. I wouldn't reject that God in any way. Your frustration is all legitimate. However, is it leading toward action? If it's leading toward action, we'll forgive it. If it's just to vent, and then you go back to eat your popcorn, then what have you achieved? God is a partner with us. He wants us to do something here. Why? I'm not going to explain God. I don't know if we can explain God, as I discussed earlier. But just just to vent... Fine, you can vent to me, you can vent to our, we're all, we're all family, and we all have our frustrations here. But it has to lead to something positive, or else it's unproductive, or else that itself is, is, is part of the problem. Then you've also become a victim of the terrorists. They've caused you to become cynical, to become 
skeptical, to become unmotivated, to become paralyzed. That we cannot afford. It's bad enough what has happened. Those of us that are here have to do everything possible to fill the void of these 1,350 souls and to do whatever we can to protect all of us and to do whatever we can to bring the right spiritual revolution to this world. There is a battle, a war going on. If you were a soldier fighting right near me and said, look what happened to our fellow soldiers. I'm just going home because where's God in all of this? I would tell you you're a deserter. This is the time where you have to rise to the occasion. All this energy, all this frustration should be led to fight a stronger war, not to become weaker. That's my response to these type of questions. I understand where they're coming from. Don't get me wrong. I fully understand. But we cannot afford when we're in a battle. We cannot afford when we were blessed with gifts to not do our part. And yes, history will look back at a time like this, and our children will look back at it, and grandchildren. What did you do as a result of the events on Shemini Atzeret, Simchus Teda, in Eretz Yisrael, Tovshin Pei Dalet, October 7th, 2023? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Okay. Next part of this is we talk about the Rebbe's approach. Well, before that... <clears throat> Was dancing the appropriate reaction when we first heard about the brutal attacks? So here's how someone put it. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, when we heard about the horrendous terrorist attack in Israel on Simchus Teda, we had a peaceful debate in our shul if we should cancel or perhaps diminish our harakafis because maybe it would be inappropriate to sing and dance and celebrate in New York, in New York while our brethren in Israel are suffering. But then one person argued that the Rebbe would probably say we shouldn't cancel harakafis, but instead we should increase in joy and dance extra for those in Israel that were not able to dance while under attack. So that's what we did. We danced the seven akafas with the taters that we are required to do. Then we returned the taters to the ark and we danced an eighth akafa with just singing and dancing because as someone suggested, seven is a number of the natural order and in this very serious situation, we need to draw down additional blessings from a higher source above the natural order so we need an eighth akafa. You think we did the right thing. Absolutely. And I commend you for that. That's exactly right. Remember Simcha. This is Simcha from Teda. This is not frivolous celebrating to go drink some beer and have fun. That would be completely inappropriate. This is Simcha Shal Teda, Simcha Shal Gedusha. It's also a mitzvah. And it's a powerful mitzvah. And it's prayed together and it breaks through boundaries. And that's exactly what the Rebbe did. When the Rebbe Fabreng Yud Gimel Tishrei right after the Yom Kippur War broke out, he asked, why make a fabrengen? And he spoke about lechad but this is the way, the Torah way to fight enemies. Darkness is through light. Yes, we have to do our part to fight them on the ground and to find them from the air and from the, and from the sea, whatever it takes to eradicate evil, that's for sure. We see Yaakov Avinu, he prepared for war with Esau, he also davened, and he prepared a bribe. We need to cover all bases. But one of the bases is also to build our own resilience and strength, which in general is what Simcha does, and to bring more light, to show that we're more passionate about light than they are about darkness, that we're more passionate in our love of life than they are about their love of death, as they themselves state. So it's beautiful what you did under the circumstances. You add more Simcha, and the idea of the eighth, very powerful. I too was in the shul, as, as all of us, many of us were. And the same idea. We've danced their honor. 
not as escape or denial or detachment. On the contrary, we're in it together. And that's what we have to do. Everyone has their role to play in this war. However, do not be on the sideline, which means you have to employ all the passion and intensity just if you're a soldier. Soldiers wake up 4 o'clock in the morning or they're on call 24-7. You have to be on call 24-7. Wake up early in the morning and learn more Torah and more mitzvahs and more davening and more tehillim and bring more light into the world. So by all means, that's exactly correct. Which leads as a segue into the next big question, which is, what is the Rebbe's approach to events like this? So the truth is, everything I've said till now is exactly the answer. This is the approach. The approach is to absolutely recognize what is going on. We are not ignoring the pain. We're not ignoring the mourning and grieving. You sit shiva for people that are lost. But shiva does not mean paralysis. Shiva does not mean retreat and surrender. It's recognizing the dignity of life, respecting it. And the pain of it should be harnessed and directed towards a spiritual war for those of us that are not fighting the physical war. So that's the general approach. As we've been discussing, and turn it into actions, which we'll talk about now. So let me read a few of the questions regarding this. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, can we look back at some of the statements and teachings the Rebbe said during the 1967 war and during the Yom Kippur war for guidance on what we should do today, physically, spiritually, and militarily, in order to be victorious in restoring calm and peace in Israel? If you feel the Rebbe's teachings are applicable to the current emergency situation, can you please repeat and explain some of these teachings so we can know, so we can know what are the best things we can do today to help our friends in Israel? Thank you. By all means. I just want to add, before I get into the details, that I did speak about this at some Fabrengans last week. And again, at our special section on our website, MeaningfulLife.com, you can find plenty of videos and over 30 videos that I did just last week. Yeah, I'm not exaggerating. We are at war. That's what we need to do. So you can find a lot more. I'm going to be here a little more concise, fitting to this format of this program. <clears throat> so firstly, let's go back to what I said before. Everything, every war led to positive action. So I want to break this answer into two. What we can do, what each of us can do, the Rebbe's approach, and what did the Rebbe say? And you talk about militarily what the Rebbe's strong, more than strong, like absolute conviction of what Israel needs to do in times like this. So let's begin first with the spiritual side. After every war, we'll start with the 1967 war, even though also in 1948, well, the Rebbe wasn't a Rebbe yet, but in the Sinai campaigns in 1956, the Rebbe always responded with something positive. Mifzat Filin, the campaign for Tfilin is connected to the Six-Day War, and it indeed has the special quality, that the nations of the world will see the name of God upon you, and they will be afraid. And actually we see, we know, that during the Six-Day War, Yom Kippur War, when they saw Tfilin, the enemy, they were frightened. They never saw such a weapon. What kind of grenade is this? What kind of bomb is this? So indeed, it is a weapon. It's a spiritual weapon. After that terrorist, ter- terrible terrorist attack on children, children's school in Malot, northern Israel, the Rebbe instituted Mifzah Mezuzah, which has the, the quality of Shemer Dal Yisrael, Shin Yud, to protection like a helmet, as the Rebbe explained it. After the Yom Kippur War came all the Mifzayim, 
the additional Mivtzayim, Mivtzayteyre, Bayes Molis Farim and Zdoke. And Tov Shalom Advov, which was 1976, came Mivtzay the education of children. The truth is, the Rebbe said already after the Kippur War that Niva Velayodam Aniva, he prophesied and didn't know what he was prophesying, that during the summer of 73, the Rebbe, that summer before Tov Shalom, before Yom Kippur, the Rebbe was talking extremely strong, emphasizing from the mouth of children and sucklings will come, the Yisadata will be founded, the strength of Ein Eizelatayra the to eliminate the enemy. So the Rebbe connected it to that. And Tav Shalom Advov was the Mipsah Chinuch. At the end of Tav Shalom Advov, Mipsah Avis Yisrael. There you have the Ten Mipsahim. All connected. So what remains? Yes, we still remember some of the pain. But the eternal remem- remem- rem- what remains is the positive mitzvahs. How many tefillin, how much mezuzah, how many of the other mitzvahs have been done as a result and continue to be done. So there's no question that in response to what's going on, all these ten mitzvahim, particularly the ones like I mentioned, tefillin, mezuzah, that's particularly connected to shmirah and protection, lighting Shabbos candles for men and women, for women and girls, every Friday before sundown, and uh, and before yontif, which bring more light. Even a little light dispels darkness, especially a lot of light. So that is very clear how the Rebbe's approach was, and it was also. Let's go now to the concept of Avis Israel, Ardis Israel, unity. When we are united, nothing can hurt us. We know this. The Rebbe would quote often about the difference between Anshe David, Anshe Avshalom. Even when the enemy is united, in some way they have more power than when we're divided. Here's not the time to point fingers. Here's not the t- and it's never a time to point fingers. Here's not the time to talk in any negative way. Only But there has been divisiveness. It, thank God, has been transformed. And uh, sadly, had to take this to transform it. But we have to remain, no matter when this is over, and it should be over as soon as possible. Never forget the positive lesson. We are one people. Am Echad. Learn chapter 32 in Tanya. It's a perfect time to learn it. We're one body, one organism. When one limb is hurting, every other part of the body hurts. When one part is strong, the other parts get stronger. Av Echad this is all language from Tanya, Pedic Lamed Beis, Pedic Lev, heart, love. So increasing in unity in every possible way strengthens. And remember, as the Rambam says, one action, one good action, one good thought, one good word, one good thought creates a ripple effect. Machria, that tips the scales for merit for every individual to bring personal and global redemption. So what we do here affects there. It has the butterfly ripple effect. So that's overall. And specifically here are some of the things the Rebbe spoke about. And, and finally, on this level, the resilience, the strength that comes from Amun and Betachen. That uh, the Ebershter is with us always, even, uh, even when there's a setback, even so on, even when there's darkness. And we have to keep, hold on to that with our dear lives. That's how we fight the battle. But this leads me now back to the physical battle. We still have to fight a physical battle. Hashem made it that way. Just like he said, go to a doctor when there's a problem. He also gave us the ability to fight the war. Like Yaakov Avinu was prepared to fight the war. He didn't have to fight, thank God. But there are times we have to fight. When you have an enemy like this, a physical enemy that's such a threat, 
And here comes the, the lesson from that end of it. The Rebbe's point always, 1967, 1973, in Kippur War, was go all the way. Do not stop. Because when you have an enemy, there has to be a very clear win and lose and losing. Who's the loser? If you give any room for the loser to think they still have some hold, that is the worst possible thing. Again, I don't want to talk about mistakes that were made. But the Rebbe yelled then in 1967 about, you won the war, why are you giving back the keys to the Harabais, to the Temple Mount? My point here again is not to speak now negatively about any Jew, but it's to understand that now we need to have that fortitude. Yes, the world right now, we have their sympathies. How long that will last? Hope, hopefully it lasts forever. But the point that I'm making here is that no matter what, we're not dependent on the world. We have to do what we have to do. And the Torah says this. And this brings me to the big Simen Shin test that the Rebbe would quote so often. I don't know if people appreciate it. But Simen Shin test in Hilchah Shabbos, the Rebbe would cite that we don't need to rely necessarily on a religious argument. We'll get to that shortly. There's Poshna Alochem. That when there's a sworn enemy who's declared war on you, you know they're a sworn enemy. Even if they come to you on Shabbos, and they want to deal, only we'll deal with some commerce, with trade, cash for tevin. Let's trade grain, let's trade the produce. They're not coming with weapons. You still have to mobilize your army because it's on the border. And you can't allow the border to be open to a sworn enemy, even if it doesn't seem like they're attacking, because they're a sworn enemy. The profundity of that and the common sense of it is so obvious. Since 1948, and maybe even before that, but let's say from then, Arab countries have been in a state of war with Israel. Yes, some signed peace treaties, it's not for now to discuss, but Hamas's constitution, his charters, calls for the destruction of all of Israel as a Jewish state, destruction of all men and women, of, uh, drive them out to the sea. Not partial, complete. That's a small statement. You'll say it's only on paper, yeah, but that's their constitution. And that's their constitution even when they don't attack. It's always that way. So when you're dealing with, a, with people like that, or animals like that, whatever you want to call them, there's a certain different approach. That was Simashin Chavtes. The Rebbe was saying, someone who's your enemy is living next door to you, they can say, give me your living room. Or let's just meet. You have to always assume guilty until proven innocent. If they change their colors, they change their attitude in a sincere way and it's proven, then, then it's different laws. But that's not the situation as we've seen. So we don't have to wait, wait for an attack to know someone's your enemy. If they're your enemy, they're your enemy. And that never changed. Had Hamas changed their charter five years ago, ten years ago, last year, and said, we no longer call for that, then you have to know whether they're sincere or not. This is the tremendous emphasis over the years. And it began already in 1967. The truth is even earlier, but that's when it became very pronounced because in 1967, Israel tripled in size due to the war and so on. So these are some of the statements, are hardly covering all of them, but that have a direct relevance to us. So the next question in this regard is, are there any large sweeping actions that we can take, anything that the Rebbe would have advocated for? One idea I had was to get letters in the Sefer Teter for all of the IDF soldiers and missing Israelis. Thank you. Large sweeping actions, absolutely. A revolution of goodness. When you see evil, you have to create a revolution that's stronger than the evil. 
a wake-up call. In 1967, one of the wake-up calls of the war was, you can say many often, the Baal movement. How many Jews, you know, kind of euphoria it affected the United States and all over the world when the events then, the Ein Yankiv, the pride, but it brought a, an awakening. So we have to turn this in, like the Rebbe said, then, he called the Six-Day War a Shefer Godel, a great, a great Shefer that sounded. And now we need to come prostrate, bow, serve God. So it needs to be turned into a spiritual godly revolution. And that's what this should become. If we had our act together, we should create such an announcement that would be dominate the headlines that due to the war, the entire world were creating a global revolution. Bigger than Apple and bigger than Amazon and bigger than Facebook and bigger than X and bigger than all the others out there. Google. A revolution, a spiritual revolution. That's the sweeping. But it comes down into actual practical actions. And what you're suggesting, absolutely. It's another myth that the Rebbe established, actually, beginning of the 80s. was also, I believe, after some events in Israel. So yes, a letter in the Sefer Teda. My wife and daughter have already been lighting Shabbos candles long before the Hamas war, and I put on my tefillin every day. Is there something additional we can do to help fight the spiritual war? Signed, the Jewish family from Seattle. So that's beautiful. But we know in Torah, it's smiling with Kedush. We always can grow in holy things. So even if you light a candle and put on tefillin, you can always do it with more passion, more kavon and more intention. Secondly, influencing others, your sphere of influence, Others to light candles and to put on men to put on tefillin. Boys after bar mitzvah. And the same thing, there's other mitzvahs. You're doing this, there's other mitzvahs you can increase. I mentioned the Mifzayim before, the Ten Mifzayim campaigns, whether it's extra learning of Torah, extra charity, filling your house with Svarim, mezuzah, and then of course the three for the besides lighting candles, Taras and Mishpacha um, and and kashus achil and then finally chinuch education and love, unconditional love for each other. There's plenty of things to add in, to add to. As a matter of fact, one of the things we're doing as well on our page, we're going to create a mitzvah wall, mitzvah for, for the for the people in Israel. And if you'd like, you can post there anything you're doing to motivate yourself and others. Okay, let's move on here. How does tfilin, how does wearing tefillin frighten our enemies? Well, as I mentioned, Basha Begashmis, it was seen. When you look at it, it looks like a strange creature, a strange alien entity, tefillin. And in some ways, it actually looks like a weapon. But the truth is, it's a spiritual weapon. So the first thing is, the physical look can frighten. You know, see a soldier with all his garb, with all the soldier, uh, with all, all the... the the fatigues that he's wearing, and he's also wearing film. There's a certain power to that, a certain sight that has power. But Baruchis, remember the subconscious, Mazlayo Chazi, the mazel of the enemy sees it. And they sense there's something here, some power here. So I would say simply Begashmis and also Baruchnis. Okay. Now, the next part is what can we do? So I've already really answered that question in many directions, but since there were a few more 
points to be made. Let me emphasize them. A person writes, should we be mourning or should we be dancing? I finally understand, what should we be doing to help Israel during this dangerous time? Should we be in mourning and wear sackcloth like Mordechai did when Haman plotted to destroy us and because of Mordechai, Hashem made miracles to save us? Or should we be dancing in the streets because Simcha Peretz get? The answer is both. The mourning part is the sadness we have for the losses. But remember, when you have to fight a war, you can't be sitting mourning. So those that have to mourn should mourn. The rest of us cry inside and we take those tears and, and harness them into joy. So it's not a contradiction. As Rashi says at the end of yesterday's Pasha, Shas Chedvasa, this is a time of joy and you could have also a time of sadness. And they go hand in hand. Both are necessary. But the key thing is, any sadness is only meant to motivate. It cannot be an end in itself that paralyzes us, that anyway immobilizes us. That's not appropriate. And definitely not in a time like this. Okay. Another person writes, I finally understand what happened on Purim and Shushan. Haman is Haman and Amalek. All the sick people around the world protesting Israel and gleefully cheering on Hamas are the militias that gladly joined Haman to try to eradicate us. God made miracles and saved us then. He will do so again now. Amen. But who are the Mordechai and Esther of our times? It is us. It is us. We are all responsible to add light into the world by increasing in acts of goodness and kindness. Exactly right. If you ask where the, who are the leaders, each of us has to be a leader. Each of us has to be a soldier. A tzava. Tzivus Hashem. We're going out into the battle. The battle can be a physical one. The battle is also a spiritual one. And each has to do their part. The Rebbe told someone, my father-in-law actually, during the 1948 war, the Friedrich Rebbe told him, and he asked you to go back to fight with his brothers. His father said, come back and fight with them. But as the Rebbe, and the Rebbe, Friedrich Rebbe said, a deserter in time of war is not someone who doesn't fight. It's someone who leaves his position. If you're in communications, or if you're working in the, in the, in the, in the intelligence department, and you say, I want to go fight, and that's, that's not what you should be doing. Each person has to do your part. Since you are here now in America, stay here and learn Tater with a full passion, like a soldier. And that's your part in the battle. So each of us has our role. Going back, should our rabbis declare a public fast day in order to persuade Hashem to help protect Israel from terrorists? That's up to the rabbis. If they do so, by all means, it's one of the ways that we also support. But I, I would defer to rabbis. This is not a forum for halacha and psak dinim. Every community has its rabbis, and that's what I would defer to. It's generally customary not to say tilim at night. But have the rabbis ever ruled that during dangerous emergency times like now that we are allowed and should say tilim even at night? Well, at night means really till midnight. So we're not talking about all night. After midnight, you see a Shana Rabbe, Shavuos, uh, the other times of the year that we stay up and we, we, um, and we, and we say Tilim, but it's after midnight. Slichus is after midnight. So the point being is, I don't recall seeing that. Obviously, in, tapes, in case of emergency, Pukoach Nefesh Decha Kola Kula. And if necessary, you say tilim whenever it's necessary to say tilim. But maybe there are other ways as well to use that time. That's something interesting to look at. Is the saying tilim a positive then? Maybe you should do other things at that moment. 
those moments. Okay. Which leads me to talk about Pekoach Nefesh. Someone asked, does Allah allow us during this time of war to use radios and cell phones on Shabbos in order to get emergency information from the IDF, letting us know if there's something dangerous going on near our kibbutz? And the instructions on what's the best things to do to stay safe. Now, there's no question if it's Pekoach Nefesh, even Suffolk Pekoach Nefesh, just for information, to follow the media because you're interested? No. But for personal, especially people in Israel, other places, there's no question that Pekoach Nefesh is Dech everything. But it's always good to ask a rabbi in case you have a doubt about something, is your particular situation Pekoach Nefesh? But remember, even if you don't have a rabbi to ask and it's a situation, even Suffolk, it's allowed. Okay. There are many, many more questions, and I see I'm not going to cover them all. I wanted to talk about, but I will conclude here in the last minutes of this program with the positive side of things. Besides the Amunna and Betochen that we talked about, but also we've seen something unbelievable come out of this. Look at the Who is like a nation like Israel? When you see those images, the singing, the dancing, the prayers, the soldiers saying good Shabbos to their wives and to their children. I mean, that alone should pierce the heavens and break God's heart, Kaviachl, to finally have total Rahmanas and end this whole nightmare. But the fact that it had to take a tragedy to bring to this, I cannot explain why that's the case. But the end result, maybe never forget it, maybe always hold on to it. So I want to just share a few things that came my way. There's hundreds out there, thousands probably. But a few things that made me, that brought me to tears to, just to see the beauty. So I just want to read a few things that people wrote to me. Which I would say, what can we learn, what do we learn from this tragedy? The beautiful side of Jews. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, first I must state the obvious, which is, that what Hamas did in Israel is one of the most barbaric, despicable, cowardly acts in the entire history of the world. I don't want to dismiss any of the sadness of the tragedy, but I want to focus on something positive that I noticed in the aftermath. There is clearly a renewed sense of unity and Jewish pride. A few weeks ago, thousands of people were protesting against each other in Israel about the courts. Now those same people are hugging each other and showing love for each other. There's a woman who always posts videos on Instagram making fun of religious Jews by mocking the Talmud. This week she posted videos where she was crying about what happened in Israel and made beautiful statements about Jewish unity and asked people to donate to different organizations to help Israel. There's a group of old people, of, I'm sorry, group of OTD people that are normally very anti-religious and they posted a video of themselves tearfully singing the Havdalah to show their solidarity. OTD is of the derech way it's used. I don't like the term, but that's the term. Some Hollywood Jews that normally post anti-Israeli statements on social media to satisfy their radical left-wing friends have been posting positive things about Israel. And so many more incidents like this, seeing so many people who are anti-Israel and anti-religion finally coming around and doing the right thing. To me, it shows we are clearly in Messianic times. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, yet another when I was a kid in yeshiva, we were told stories that during desperate times, some tzaddikim or even regular people were able to elicit miracles by offering to trade their elam haba for a miracle. I'm not sure where this source entailed is for doing this, but even 
on the slim chance that this is true and permissible, I want to publicly declare that I offered to trade all of my Elam Haba for Hashem to make a miracle that all the hostages captured by Hamas are immediately returned home safely to their families. My Hebrew name is Moshe Yitzchok ben Zeldi Yehudis. I'm not writing my secular last name because this is an anonymous form. Hashem knows who I am and I hope he agrees to make this deal. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, yet another. I don't want to say my name because this is an anonymous form, but over the last three years, I've emailed him many questions to your Sunday night class which were purposely provocative. Please know that it was never personal against you. We don't know each other and you have never wronged me. You have never wronged me, but I used your form to air grievances I have with the community and to make fun of some Torah teachings that I have a problem with, for example, the story of the Akedah. Now that Israel and world Jewry are facing another existential threat, I think in the spirit of unity, this is an appropriate time for me to apologize. I'm also apologizing to anyone in your audience that was offended by my questions. To be clear, I would rather be locked in a dungeon with a dozen members of our community that I disagree with than to walk free to next to terrorists from Hamas. Am Yisrael Chai, go Israel. And then one more. I hereby declare the year 5784 to be a Hakal year unofficially. It's not official because Hashem said last year was the official Hakal year, but Hashem never said we, don't, we, we can't do it. We're not allowed to do it. So I look forward to a year of large, joyous, and inspiring assemblies filled with words of Teda, and especially the biggest and best large gathering, which is when we will all unite together with Mashiach in the base Hamikdash. Amen. So with that, I want to conclude the brach of my own at Firstly, our hearts, our souls, our prayers go out and are one with all those neshamas, the Kedeshim that were taken from us, with their shattered families. And above all, our prayers, hearts, and souls are with the soldiers that are fighting, literally sacrificing their lives for men, women, and children. For us, they are one with us, and we're one with them. And the only justice we can do is not just pray for them, but also show that on our end, we're fighting the war as well, with equal passion, to reach every person we can reach, with love, to repair rifts, amend arguments, apologize to someone, or accept an apology. This is the time to eradicate the Hamas or Hamas within our own hearts and souls. Just as this parsha talks about the eradication, a mola aris Hamas of all crime, robbery, murder. The Medish explains, Rashi says it's robbery, but the Medish explains that it goes on all the above. In the Pasuk in Yale, Dalad Yud Tess, I believe, that says, and I'll read the Pasuk, I have it here, right here. Pasuk says, that the enemies will be destroyed. It says, the Hamas b'nei Yehuda dam noki Because of the violence done to the children of Judah, because they shed innocent blood in their land. Yehuda le'elam teshev, Yerushalayim le'devedeh, but Judah shall remain forever and Jerusalem throughout all generations. That's Yoel 
Dalad Yutes Chaf, 41920. To give them strength, to give them courage, and to protect them, and to protect all the Jews in Israel and all the Jews everywhere. And let us do our part, as I said, no less, with no less passion and commitment than the soldiers there. We are all soldiers. And that's what we have to now rise and bring the love, the unity, putting on tefillin, mezuzah, lighting candles, and all the other actions that bring more light. And a little light dispels darkness, a lot of light dispels all of it, and will transform all this to ultimately the greatest victory and the greatest transformation and the greatest positive revolution that will never be forgotten, the revolution of the Gula Hamitis Vashlema. May we only hear good news, and please, please communicate, please write to us in the forum. I have many more questions that I was going to address, but simply time is, of lim is limited. But I will be giving out some other videos today in the next few days on related topics, so check it out again at MeaningfulLife.com. We have a whole section, as well as a WhatsApp group. Please sign up, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. We're all in this together. Again, Pesudas Tevis will only be a blessed week and a blessed year. Only good news. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com slash donate.